0: Uh, Matthew chapter 5. I walked in this morning and, and uh, Thomas sees me and he says, oh, oh, so you've come to yell at us today. <laughs> so that's his way of saying, oh, you're preaching today. And um, I, I don't mean to. Uh, I, I love you guys. Uh, my goal whenever I preach is not to come and yell at anybody. Um, I express uh, my conviction for the word and my passion for the word a little different than Let's say Brent does, Um, but it's still passion and um, conviction Um, just comes out a little different. So um, we're going to go ahead and close five today. We're going to take 43 down. We have the final, you've heard it said, but I say statement, which says chapter five, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Cause you know, they're the worst. They get their own category. There's sinners and then there's tax collectors. So, and they do the same thing. 47, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you uh, doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I'm, I'm glad that, that Jesus uh, kept the, chose the easiest one for last. Uh, this is one that undoubtedly we're all going to pass. Uh, we're all going to get A's on this, uh, no, no, no doubt, um he's uh, actually gonna place the final nail in our coffin <laughs> today um if you've been with us you kind of know that that there's been a, a pattern and a tone and an intent and a goal um and he's he is he is gonna button us up uh in our graves today of our own righteousness as if we still need it <laughs> at this point right um and, uh, you know, I, I, I could just hear you guys like, you know, someone like, hey, what church do you go to? What have they been talking, you know, what's been, what have they been teaching on there? And it's like, oh, it's cool. Like every week we go and we just get told how horrible we are. We we just get slapped down again by Jesus and, and told just, you know, what, how cruddy we, like you should visit our church sometime. This is what we get every single week. So well, you're, you're getting it again and it'll get a little bit better after this. There's still going to be inability and, and law and all that stuff that's preached after this, but this is really kind of the... Uh, the back end of the heaviness of it. Now, <clears throat> I said this a couple weeks ago with the subject that I had with divorce. I'm going to say it again with this subject. Um, there is a lot of content in the New Testament that speaks to loving our enemies as Christians. There's a lot of helps, there's a lot of tools, there's a lot of insight and encouragements and applications to aid us in loving our enemies, this today is not that sermon. This is not it. Okay, That's a different one. We'll have that one another day. Okay. To hate is to have disdain for something or for someone. And there's a lot of things that I hate. Uh, it was really easy to come up with this list, uh, I'm embarrassed to say. When I sat down, like, what are the things that I hate? Like, it, was, it just flowed out of me. Uh, so like broccoli, um, mosquitoes, allergies, uh, clowns, taxes, sirens, uh, splinters, um, humidity. Like the south, like anywhere in the south from like Texas over, they can have it. They can have it. I don't know if you've been there or not, but no. Uh, frozen windshield wipers, on the other hand, I don't like those either. Those aren't good, right? Bad uh, Bad drivers. Um, I'm sure I'm the only one. Um, this is the thing that I think tests me and my character and where I'm at in Christ more than anything else is when I get on the road. Uh, bad drivers. Um, passing lanes are a big one for me, right? I don't, I don't know if they're not, like, if they're just not teaching anybody anything anymore In in, like, you know, when you go to... T- to, to driving school, but like, I don't understand how you got someone who's holding up traffic and going slow, and then you get to a passing lane, and then they go, they speed up to 100 so that nobody can pass them, and, and then, and then when that comes back in, they're, they're back down to 50 again, right? That's straight up Satanism right there. It's, uh, it's Satanic. Gas prices, I hate, hate gas prices. Uh, politicians, it's going to get a little crazier now, uh, mean people. Uh, false teachers, false gospels, uh, professing Christians that don't act like Christians. So like I even hate myself a lot right there. Uh, I, hate, I hate seeing Christian men not lead their wives and their children toward Jesus, but away from Jesus. Like that bothers me. I hate that. I hate when I see people walk away from the church for stupid reasons. I hate when I see divisions and feuds in the church rather than unity and reconciliation. I hate when I hear people call evil good and good evil. I hate that one. I hate that people hate God. I hate that people hate Jesus. I hate that people hate truth and righteousness. I hate that. But probably above all else, I hate that there's still some of this hate that remains in me. And it is there. Um, There's a lot of people that disdain me or disdain you for loving God, for being a Christian. They will uh, oppose us. They won't like us, uh, what what we do. They they won't love God like I think they should, or like I uh, I I I think that I do. And because of this, they may end up being hostile towards me and hostile towards you, hateful, right? Which is basically the definition of enemy here. This is what we're talking about. And 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 yet again, I like to think that I've made strides in this in this area of my life, like some progress. Of, of loving, uh, unlovable people. And, and I like to think that I do pretty well with this, and I have in ways. Like, But the honest truth is that um, I, what I do towards my enemies and what I truly think, feel, wish towards my enemies are often two different things. They're often two different things. And, and Jesus is kind enough this morning to to remind us that those are two different things. You know. We start off in the text with, with that which we've become accustomed to, you have heard it said, but I say. So so we know once more right off the bat that these guys were practicing or believing something that Jesus has something to, to, to say about. Like there's a correction to be made again by Jesus on what they're believing or what they're thinking or how they're living. He's going to correct that. This time having to do with our hearts, thoughts, actions toward our enemies. And so we see in verse 43 and 44, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, the first question is this like, where did they get that? Where did they get that from? Like, like, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like, I know where I get it from. Like, like, my heart almost every day it's kind of where i where i get that sermon from where did like they get it from and, and and undoubtedly it's it's the same place but um i know where they didn't get it from uh they didn't get it from their scriptures <laughs> directly because not, god in no in no place gives this as a commandment like it, it's it, believe me i looked <laughs> like, like i tried to find it i wanted to it's, uh, it's not there. It's simply not there. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's present in the law, Leviticus chapter 19. Super clear way back then that statement's even there. Love your neighbor as yourself, but it's not followed up with uh, hate your enemy. It is widely believed among scholars that hating your enemy was simply a, a, a naturally assumed development among Jewish thinking because they were the chosen people of God. And, and no and everyone else weren't. It was like them and then everybody else, right? It, it is clear that our scriptures do oftentimes speak of God hating evil and even the evil doer, such as Psalm five four and five, "For you are not a God who delights in wickedness, evil may not dwell with you. the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. you hate all." evil doers that's heavy like that's a hardcore statement that David is making there about God towards evil doers so, so you could look at this or a Jewish mind could look at this in their scriptures and be like, like there it is like God hates all over evil doers so we can too right the, the problem is that they never considered that he's talking about them <laughs> like that, that they're included in that that they are also evil doers right? It could be assumed by, by the Jew due to the constant language of them being the people of God and the surrounding nations not being the people of God, resulting in wars and struggle and bloodshed for centuries to be the justification of their hate. We're the goodies, they're the baddies. Oh, how I hate them, you know? David would all uh, often let out this way in the Psalms. Have you ever read some of the Psalms where David's like on the run from Saul, going from cave to cave, um, and, and, and things are bleak and, and they're not good, and he's tired and he's discouraged and he's angry, and he's just letting out he, these prayers. He was praying for his enemy, but not the way that we're supposed to. Like God, like, can you come down and like, just like push him off a cliff? you know what I mean? That'd be cool, (laughs) you know? Like like the the imprecatory prayers, right? Upon his his enemies there, Like, like those things exist there. But a hatred, a hatred from them or us towards our enemies is never commanded by God. It's just something that we naturally love to do. So Jesus here, of course, is informing them that they've heard wrong, they've assumed wrong, they've desired wrong and hating their enemies. And, and in that, he's now going to give them a correct command from God concerning how they ought to be toward their enemies. He's going to clear this up. Thus he says, I say to you, <clears throat> love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now, there are two serious problems for you and me and for them in this statement. And what Jesus is saying here, in these two verses. um, This is where the dilemma exists in this last indictment of loving your enemies. The first dilemma is in the statement, love your enemies. That's the first problem that you and I have with this text. The second problem is, so that you may be sons... Of your Father that is in heaven. These are our two problems. These are problems because we don't do the first one perfectly, which keeps us from enjoying the second one fully. Right? Like, Jesus has worded this in a way that makes it sound as if succeeding, and and I have looked into uh, some of the the Greek uses of the way that this is worded. Some people will debate over it. The problem, if you start learning, if you're interested in learning original language because you think you're going to get to the bottom of some stuff, like, it's not going to help you because those guys will sit around and deliberate and debate over the uses of the Greek just like we do in our English, okay? I'm going with what, what, I, what I believe is, is clear and also overall biblical as far as our condition and what God is asking for here. In order for you and I to be sons of God, Jesus is saying, we need to be lovers of our enemies. And that's tough. In other words, in order to be considered by God to be a child of God, we must first love our enemies because that's what his kids will do. That's what his kids will do. That's how offspring works, right? Um, like we're chips off the old block, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? There's, There's DNA, there's genes, there's biological makeup, residue, resemblance, behaviors, characteristics, all passed down as a result of who we belong to, who we've ascended from. And Jesus is saying, if you in fact belong to God, you will in fact do that, which He does. And since God loves haters... You will, too. How are you guys doing with this? Sorry. This is down. Um, you cannot deny. Think about this. You cannot deny that this world, nations, civilizations, people groups... Governments, cultures, schools, neighborhoods, the marginalized, the minimalized, the victimized, the abused, the fatherless, the widow, all of it is blessed and bettered as a result of the presence and existence of the people of God, the church, in this world. There is no doubt. That cannot be denied. But at the same time, you cannot deny that as we go about making this place better as a result of God in us, we fumble, like sometimes badly, as the people of God, as the children of God. There are times that we are very imperfect and careless. There are times we do this terribly and even unlovingly sometimes as God works through us to accomplish His goodness and His love to the nations in spite of us. They're both true. We can so easily be evaluated by the outside world, in particular our enemies, as a people not, not who have been captured by love, but that take pleasure in being jerks for Jesus. Like, I don't know if that's you. It's not a shirt we're going to make, so don't even ask for one, because too many of you would wear it. Um, <laughs> we, you know what I mean? Like, we can be so loud and proud. We can be so loud and so proud as the children of God sometimes as Christians, that we, we can uh, announce with great self-righteousness to the world behind our keyboards, or I don't even know if any of you use those, like your phones, like I don't, I don't know, how stupid and how disgusting and how ignorant and how appalling and how mindless people are who don't think like we do, right, who don't believe like we do, who don't act like we do, who don't vote like we do, and it's ugly it's ugly when we do it i don't know if this has ever worked for you guys in leading someone to jesus but like but like insulting my enemies has yet to bear me fruit you know what i'm saying like it's yet to bear any fruit like i tried to consider if like if i could recall a time when this this tactic paid off you know where i just came in and insulted somebody so bad that they went well what must i do to be saved what must i do to be like you you know what i mean like, it, it, it's, it's never happened. Like, like, speaking at them, speaking over them, speaking down to them with hate or disdain has yet to net me a fish. Like, I've thrown that net out there before, and it's come back empty every single time. Nothing. And yet, for some reason, we can think this is our best strategy, our, 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 our best approach. I think it's easy for us to think, well, I'm supposed to be a truth teller for Jesus, right? So so we oftentimes use that to justify our nastiness in insulting people and speaking down to them. I'm just telling them the truth and the truth hurts, you know, sorry, not sorry, right? And, and, and then we experience this negative response, this this hate back, this disdain back a, as a result of how we've gone about it. And we go, oh, oh, the persecution, Jesus said this would happen. You know what I mean? Please listen to, uh, if I can get there, 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of you know it. You don't need to turn there. Just just check this out. Check out what Paul says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging a cymbal. Cleaning have you guys ever heard a cymbal that's misplaced? It's not It's not okay. Like I'm a drummer. I grew up playing the drums. I've, I've played on a lot of worship teams and a lot of churches. i played in secular bands in a lot of venues. And there's one thing that almost always happens at the end of a show or at the end of a worship service. is someone's little child thinks it's a good idea to crawl up onto my drum set and grab a stick. And guess which one they hit? The cymbal. Like over and over and over again. And it is not okay. When it happens, it is a horrible, horrible sound. And Paul is saying that's what you sound like, and that's what I sound like, when we come to people as the children of God, with God things minus love. There's nothing appealing about it. There's nothing attractive about it. There's nothing that will draw somebody to it, but rather away from it. Because it's obnoxious. And that's what you and I are like. When we do our God things and we go about the business of being Christians without the love that marks a Christian. He goes on to say, "If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I have nothing." So now we're moving on to the big stuff. Like I can I can do like real interesting, miraculous, like supernatural God stuff. But if I have not love, what's it worth? What does it benefit? Nothing. Nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver my body up to be burned, martyrdom. We 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 do the big one to show show the world that we're a Christian. But I have not love. I gain nothing. I gain. I mean, do you guys? Are you getting the sense that that love is, is necessary for the effectiveness of the church and the Christian in this world? It's pretty clear there with what Paul's talking about. How we, how we go about representing Christ is just as important as what we're saying about him. Do you guys understand that? It's not just what we are saying it's also how we say it it's not just what we're doing it's also about how we do it that makes it all effectual that creates an impact that creates waves in this world in the heart of the god hater it's how we do what we do as believers we don't have to guess what it looks like for us to love our enemies, uh, because Jesus shows us here in this text what it looks like for God to love his enemies. Backside of verse 45, or 45B, or how, whatever we want to call it, it's there. It says, Jesus says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. In other words, God, even, even though these are his enemies, continues to dispense that to them which is life giving. Which is life giving. Sun, rain. They're kind of necessary. Right? And, and he continues to, to dispense these, to hand these out to both. Those who are his and those who are not. So he, he gives them that which is necessary for life. Breath, breath, Blessing, prosperity, need, existence. He gives this to both the child and to the enemy. And this is what always blows my mind about God, right? Like I don't understand uh, how he does this. I don't understand at all in any way how he can see all the time the depths of the evils and the wickedness that goes on in the the hearts of man all around the world at all times and stay his hand. Like I, I don't get this at all. I do not understand it. I do not understand how he can see, how he can look upon someone who hates him, who fully and completely despises him, and him, him knowing the depths of that, and still allow them to laugh. To allow them to, 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 to experience any kind of joy at all, whatsoever, blows my mind. <clears> that they get to wake up every day and Breathe. That they get to even have children, which become a blessing to them, or grandchildren. I don't understand that. That they get to have memories made, that they get to go on vacations where they come back and go, that was so awesome, we're going to have to do that again someday. How in the world does God allow that to go on with his enemies? I do not know. I do not understand this. It is beyond me. It blows my mind that God allows, excuse me, even during this tiniest blip that we call life on the timeline of eternity, the wicked, the evil, the oppressed to share in and receive his blessings. I do not understand this, but he does. He does. You know why? Because God loves his enemies. This is a biblical doctrine that we would call common grace that God holds. And uh, I don't want to get bogged down in that or go too far in that, but let's just say that this is one of the areas where we see it. God holds a common grace, a common love that is universal for all of that which he has created. And you know what? This is how Jesus says we need to be. All right. Good luck, you know. Jesus is saying, see the way that God loves his haters, like, like do that, like match that, like, like, like pray for them. even." Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. We're going to kind of like zero back to this, um, but like, let's just say that this is one of the most loving things you can do for anybody is to lift them up. For, for their good and for their benefit and for their blessing, not their demise, to the Father of all things, there there is no greater act of love than this one. And we'll come back to that. Well, some of you are maybe like reaching for something right now and evaluating yourselves, like like I love my my mom and she can be really annoying, you know. Not mine, mine's not annoying; she's rad. But like yours, not I mean not yours, but you know what I mean. <clears throat> Just just land the plane. Yep. I love my in-laws, and they're impossible, right? Uh, I don't know how many of you have those. Um, I do, right? They're, they're difficult to deal with. I love my older brother, you know? And he used to beat me up, you know what I mean? Like, he used to bully me and, like, have his way with me. And, I, like, I, I love him. Like, like, that's good, right? Like, that counts. <laughs> I don't know. Let's see what Jesus says. Verses 46 and 47. i got to get back there again. There we are. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. So here's what Jesus is saying here. Only loving the lovable um, doesn't count. <laughs> All right, so like we basically have like like three things. There's three ways I've broken this, uh, this text down here for myself. Number one is God loves haters. Number two is because God loves haters, his kids will too. And number three is only loving the lovable doesn't count. That one doesn't even fit there, right? Uh, but it still has a nice ring to it. Uh, that's basically what Jesus is saying here. Why does it not count? Because there's nothing special about it, right? Like there's, there's, there's nothing sacrificial about it. Uh, It's not selfless. It's still selfish. It's natural. It's expected. It's doable. See, see, the perfect law of God is not a challenge because it's asking us uh, in our sinfulness to do things that are doable. It's asking us things in our sinfulness that that are not. Like, that's the point. That's the problem with the law. That's the problem with complete righteousness, holiness, perfection, is it's asking us to do something we can't. And our love, our love due to being fallen and due to being broken, is fully, I don't know if you'll admit to this, but I will, self-absorbed, like, like fully self-concerned, like fully self-aware, and ultimately self-serving, just, just like it is uh, with tax collectors and Gentiles, pretty much the same thing. God, God, God's love isn't. And he's requiring us to have the same kind of love that he has. That he has. See, we're, we're creatures that love ourselves more than anyone or anything. And because of that, we will always base our love, whether it's on someone or something, according to what it ultimately does for us. How it makes us feel. What it gives to us. What it does for us. How it connects back to us. Right? Whether it's with friends or, or family or neighbors or whatever our love is very much self-driven emotionally driven and circumstantially driven and all those evaluations that we have um, in those areas are broken because we're broken but god isn't and he's requiring a love that is able to keep our fallen selves out of it and we can't jesus is informing us that the true pure, godly, agape love is not dictated or driven by feelings, emotions, circumstances, self, but truth. Truth. Regardless of what we get, feel, or experience back. God's love is fixed and it is free. If we continued in 1 Corinthians, you you don't need to go there, you can listen to it where I left off, verse 4, it goes on to say this, love is patient, Love is kind. Some of you had to memorize this before the dude would agree to marry you, right? I want you to know, though, that this is not exclusive to a husband and a wife getting married. This is just a straight-up, true, true picture of what love actually looks like, regardless of if you're married or not. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now take that, because I know that you all do that so well, And apply it to your enemy. This is what's being talked about here. This is what's being talked about here. I can't can't even perform this towards my spouse. And I love her. How do you do this towards somebody that's your enemy? Just like the previous indictments of Matthew chapter 5, we can attempt to find ways to identify examples of how maybe we've fulfilled this and pulled this off. Um, make ourselves feel a little better about ourselves Um, as, as far as loving our enemies based upon our actions or our responses. But just like all the other subjects before it, God wants this where it counts. And that's here. That's what all this is dealing with. I was reminded of this this week as I reflected on one instance where I thought I had done particularly well with loving my enemy, uh, I was pretty proud of myself with this one. Um, by the way, do you do you know the only thing that's that's worse than loving your enemy uh, when that enemy is literally your next door neighbor? That's that's the only that's the only thing that's worse. Has anyone here ever had the neighbor from hell? Well, we've had two in our lifetime. Uh, we've owned two houses, and we've had two of these. God saw fit to put one right smack next door to each house that we've occupied, uh, like like some kind of weird joke. Uh, and it was no joke. Um, the first one was a guy named Dave Wilson, who actually occupied the house that Brent and Joy moved here from twenty-something years ago from from Idaho and moved into. So when this guy. Sold and moved out, it was Brent and Joy that we got in there. Just a weird, interesting connection. But before it was Brent and Joy, it was Dave Wilson. Okay? Um, and we're not going to get, that's a story for another day. Like, we're, like as much as I want to do this one for you right now, because it's better, um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to. This dude actually ended up getting saved. He was literally a demon. Like, like in, in every way imaginable. And God ended up saving this dude. Right, but not before I wished his demise like over and over again. And then there was Andy and Jen. Um, they're more recent, so they're in the house down here in Sun River when we when we moved down here. And what happened is, uh, after we were in our house, the house next door to us, they, they rented to some people for a while, and then they ended up selling. And this young couple named Andy and Jen from Northern California ended up buying it. They were not married. They were just kind of shacked up and living like they were married, and they bought this house together. And the house was in disarray, like it was a nightmare. And so what they were doing was uh, they would um, work all week in Northern California um, at their jobs. And then Friday night, 11 o'clock, they would get in their car and they would drive up here. And they would like work. They would labor on this house all weekend. And then they would leave late Sunday night and they would go back home and they would just repeat like that for like, I think like a year. Like it, it must have been just brutal for them. And it was 11 years ago. We were planting the door at the same time. We were just getting ready to plant. And so I was all missional-minded. I had a cape on. Like, I was going to go out and, like, save this community, right? Like, I'm just going to go out and just... Everything's going to change, after this thing happens. And so, like, like, I'm thinking, like, what way can I get into their life? Like, what way can I make an impression and, and whatnot? So we were, we were thinking of all these ways to be super kind and helpful. I would go over and help this dude do some of the stuff on the weekends. We would always have them, you know, take them food or have them over for dinner. Uh, they were not at all in any way Christians. Um, in any way in fact, we went to their their marriage their wedding when they finally got married and and it was a it was a gal uh, Named jello jalapeno that married him, In a And she had like a potato sack on and she talked about the stars lining up properly So that their marriage would work and and that that was like this was this was andy and jen Right, and so we're trying to witness jesus to them and do everything we can and we're just throwing kindness at them and kindness At them and this weird thing happened I would go over and like plow this dude's driveways on friday so that he could get into his driveway, you know, in the wintertime to work on his house. Like, we were going out of our way to do what we could, and we're like, oh, like, God's gonna honor this, right? And the more that we did, the more these two hated us. Like, that's how it went. The, 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 the more that they saw that Christian thing come out of us, they actually turned against us, and they began to uh, disdain us and hate us. And get nasty towards us. And I'm, and I'm mad at God at this point. I'm like, what's up? Like, why, why isn't this going down the way it's supposed to? Like, A and B is supposed to equal C. Like, how come this is equaling like X? You know what I mean? Like, like what's up? And there was a day when, after a period of time when things weren't going good, when I was outside doing something in the front yard, and I see Andy coming out of the corner of my eye. And, and this dude's blowing smoke out his nose. Like, he is mad mad about something and I thought, Well that's it Lord, like someone's going to the hospital today. Like you know what I mean? Like someone's going to prison today. Um, and I hope it ain't me, but it might be. And this dude comes over and he gets into my face and I and I and I promise you, I promise you, if you know anything about me, I don't do well in these kind of situations. Okay? And it, 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 it was it was it, it was like God showed up and he just he just like locked my mouth. And he locked my arms to my side. And I stood there like an idiot and took every bit of what this dude put on me. Like he's just cussing up and down this far from my face, yelling at me. Like I I promise you, it's a miracle that I stood there and said nothing. And with my hands, I did nothing. And he eventually does this thing and he walks off and I go in the house and I'm telling my wife, like, you're not going to believe what just happened. Like this dude came over and like, it was on, you know what I mean? And like, I didn't. I didn't respond. It's like, I I just can't believe that went down. And and I was so proud of myself. I'm like, yes, yes, like I passed the test. You know what I mean? Like this is one to stick in the file cabinet, you know, which is why I'm telling you today. As time has gone on and I've reflected on this, especially this week as I'm reflecting on this story, yes, I stood there and I took it. I loved my hater in that moment. By not speaking back, by not hitting back, by not playing the game. But inside my heart, when that was going down, I murdered that dude 50 ways. 50 ways. Not kidding. And God saw that. See, this is what we're talking about here. This is the, this is the depth of the depravity that jesus is addressing with his listeners in this sermon that depth to where none of us can wiggle out of it and go i got this part god i'm good with this i don't need jesus for this i don't need your perfection for this i've got my own perfection in this no you don't if you are halfway honest with your heart and what goes on inside of you Even your best works and your greatest victories are messed up. They're tainted. Because that's how deep sin runs. But praise God, the righteousness of Christ runs deeper. Deeper. Which brings us to the final statement. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, like may, maybe some of you um, have been holding out uh, through chapter 5 that we've been teaching this wrong, okay? Um, that, that maybe maybe what uh, Jesus has been is, is teaching as opposed to what, how we've been interpreting it is really not as bad as we've made it sound, Right? Um, that you're really not as bad as we've led on to, um, you are. <laughs> it's found in that verse. I mean, that, that verse is it. We're, we're indicted on every count, on every charge, right there. I do not believe this statement is just the summary of the Love Your Enemies text that we read today just because it sits on the back of it, okay? This is that how our English Bibles breaks things up again like we talked about last time, I believe this statement is the summary of all that we call chapter 5 in our Bibles. Everything that he has preached up to this point. The Beatitudes, and some people will argue with that, it's fine, I'm open to that, as well as the I says, all of it, this is a statement for. The summary is, you must be perfect in attitude, in character, in action, in heart. Perfect in what you do and what you don't do and how you do it and why you do it. Perfect. Perfection is the bar. So I don't think I need to ask you, like, how did you do? You know what I'm saying? Like, like how well are you doing now? I've been a Christian for 30 years. I ask myself, like, how are you doing with this now? Like, just as bad as I was the day one. You know what I mean? How well are you going to do tomorrow? with everything that Jesus taught here, right? How well are you going to do in 10 years? How well would you do in 1,000 years? Should he give you a 1,000 years to work it out? I don't think we can reach this one. I don't think we can do it. There's two words that summarize the whole of this sermon thus far. Perfection and inability. That's it. These are the themes. These are the takeaways for you and I in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. Perfection and inability. The perfection's his if you haven't realized it yet, the inability is ours. Right? That's it. I, I, I want us to make sure that we all know that this statement that Jesus is making here, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is not is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion, it's not a recommendation. Right? Like it, it's not a push. Uh, and it's it's not meant to inspire us into trying harder to be better. That's not what he's doing. It is not an encouragement. It is not a pep talk. It is not good advice. It is a command. You must. It is the only way. There is no other way. You must be perfect. It's a command. He's saying this is the way, and it's called perfection. It's called perfection. So here's the bazillion dollar question, like, how, how can you or I ever become perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect? How can we ever stand a chance at this being a reality for us? Like, how is it even possible? And, and, and hopefully it is at this point, as a people who know the rest of the story, that we can, we can hear another statement from Jesus coming, cu- coming into our heads right now that says, like, with, with man it's impossible. But... With God, all things are possible. With man, it, it, it's it's not possible. But with God, all things are possible. And, and the way God has made this impossible thing possible is through the substitution and the imputation of his son. That's how. If you've been tracking with us through this whole section of Scripture, I don't think I need to spell out for you who it is that's actually being accurately described and talked about in the Beatitudes as well as the I says. And it ain't you. But there is one, praise God, that's being talked about in all of this. And I will say it anyway because it's a glorious proclamation. It is Jesus. The preacher who's preaching this sermon is describing perfectly Himself. It is Him in all of it. It is Jesus who perfectly embodies every attitude and every characteristic without fail in the Beatitudes as well as the I say's. It is Jesus who has mastered the law test of not becoming angry as so to murder, not lust as so to commit adultery, Not divorce those He's joined Himself to because in His righteousness, divorce does not exist. Not say things He doesn't do. Not hit back when He gets hit. And not hate, even when He's hated. It's Him. It's all Him. It's Him we've been studying. The one speaking is the one being described. And we see His accomplishment of this last one, the love your enemies best, Most obviously, by looking around this room right now. This is the part that blows my mind more than anything else. We have a room full of God haters right here that are no longer God haters because of the work of Christ on our behalf, because he loved his haters. And he loved his enemies. That any even, even even when we were yet still sinners, Christ had a love for us that, that caused him to go to a cross for us and bear our sins for us, that we may be his, that we may experience and being overwhelmed by that love, that we may be won by love, which is exactly how he won us. This room right here is a room that has been won by love, not insult. Not retaliation, not stupid comments, or jerkiness. Love. Love. Titus 3 through 8, right? Everyone's been memorizing this. For we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, being hated by others, and hating others. Like, like that's us. That's our story. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous works we have done, but because of his mercy he saved us through the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us generously through who? Jesus Christ. Having been justified by that, by his work, by his accomplishment, we might become heirs to the hope of eternal life. That is this room. Haters to love. It's an incredible thing. But this is why the church exists. And Christ has overwhelmed us with the reality of his love for people that hate him. And it's seen right here. I know it's seen here. I remember what I thought. I remember how I was. I remember how I looked at God. Because it was a love for you and for me that put him on the cross that nailed him there, that held him there. We then see him, what? We see him pray there. I told you I'd come back to this. We see him pray there. For who? With his final breath, he prays for those who took it. This is what it looks like to love your enemies, people. What a glorious picture. What a beautiful picture what a beautiful sight and so we have substitution and we have imputation that allows us instead of getting an f on this test of chapter five which you and i in and of ourselves get an f like the biggest f that you can draw on the chalkboard right but because of his substitution and his imputation we get a pluses that's what imputation is right he took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That was the exchange. That's how this thing goes down. And that is the gospel. That's how it works. That's what you're going to see today. After this, when we go down into that water and people get baptized, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing a picture of that reality. Of those people's sins going on to the righteous one. And the righteous one's righteousness going on to us. The sinner, which makes us no longer a sinner, but perfect. And so we get A pluses now. When we go back and we read five, right? Because of what he did, because of who he is. All right, way over. Let's go have a baptism. Let's go watch this. Let's go. Let's go actually see this physically happen in front of us. All right, what we've just talked about. Isn't God good? And it is hot in here. Yeah, for sure. Lord, we thank you for your text. We thank you even for the hard things, God, because it is those hard things that makes the good news good, that that causes it to be glorious and necessary. So we thank you for shooting straight with us, God. We thank you for revealing to us how bad we are compared to that which is perfect, compared to the standard of righteousness, so that we would fall on that cross and say, God, have mercy on me. And so we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for hearing wretched sinners. We thank you for dealing with people like us while we were still haters, God. We thank you for the breath that you gave us. We thank you for being long-suffering while we were in our darkness and we were opposed to you and, and in full rebellion against you. Thank you, God, for not crushing us on the spot. Thank you for bringing us Jesus. And so we celebrate that today, God. Your, your name is above every name. There is no one like you. And we worship you in all that you are and all that you've done. In the name of Jesus in which we are saved. Amen.